Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to Just the Basics. I'm Tommy Bowles. I'm Matt. And we're keeping the beat for you once a week. It feels like it's been forever since we've recorded one of these because it's been like two weeks since we recorded one. Yep. Uh, last time we sat down, we recorded two right back to back, and uh, it was actually really nice as far as our process to record two in a row, I thought. It kind of kept me in the flow of thinking about the podcast. Hopefully but, you people agree and didn't feel like we got tired or something, but I thought it yeah. went, went really well to do a little batch record. We needed to because Tommy was away last week. Yeah, I had to spend the week up in Virginia instead of my normal place in Florida, so... That was a, uh, it was fun. It was a tiring trip, but it was a good trip. We got to hear some new music from uh, the fa- jazz faculty at Liberty University. So I got to hear that. Man, you guys are going to be in for a treat once they release that. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, we want to start doing some album review stuff, and that'll probably be a big old feature. Oh, yeah. Once that one comes up, we'll definitely have to talk about that one. That'll be, yeah, it was something special. I'm telling you, these guys, I mean, they did a three-hour read-through, and then they sat down and recorded it in a day and a half. I mean, it's incredible. So once that comes out, yeah, you guys have to hear it. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're not here to talk about that today, I don't think. <laughs> not entirely. No, we're not. Yeah, I mean, I guess it kind of has something to do with our topic. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're talking about writing and arranging today. So, I mean, I guess that they did write and arrange those songs, so... It, it, it applies. It works. Yeah. We'll, we'll just say it's fine. <laughs> we wanted to do something that was kind of an extension from our music theory stuff because a lot of what we talked about was kind of uh, using the theory in your playing to learn music and then perform with others. But we didn't really talk about how to utilize that stuff when you actually want to write your own music or arrange mm-hmm. other uh other people's music for your own style of play, which I feel like is the natural next step in moving forward in your music. You can't just play the way that everyone else does for your entire life. You'll never really make a name for yourself if you don't find a way to really utilize your own voice and style. Yeah, and music is highly personal, too. Everybody has different things that they like. I mean, I know we talked about that during our music theory stuff. Like, kept saying, you know, just because we say, you know, normally it's done one way doesn't mean you always have to do it that way. Mm -hmm. And because of that, yeah, the the next thing is to actually put your ideas down and record them or put them down on paper or however it fits for you to make that Mm -hmm. thing for other people to get to hear what you like, too. So... I guess first we can talk about the arranging process because I know Matt and I both have done more arranging than we've done original writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Overall, I think I've done way arranging more is a great way. Oh yeah, a lot more. I think arranging is a great way to get started into writing. Like if you want to write music but have no idea what to do, I think it can be really beneficial to start by just taking a song you already know and just arranging it to make it yours. Yeah, I think that that can, it can teach you the ins and outs of your voice and your style and the things that you like to do in writing and how the harmony works in navigating chord to chord and uh, where to put instrumentation and just different tonalities and things like that. Well, you don't really have to worry about, well, what is the next note or what is the next chord? 
because it's not already there. And, um, I mean, you don't have to keep to the chords of something you're arranging. You can change the chords to fit the melody differently and things like that. And that just Mm -hmm. gives you a really good foundation of taking a song that's already there and form fitting it into your own direction. And there's different ways of doing that, which we're Mm -hmm. about to say. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose that's what we would logically do next. (laughs) (laughs) No, we're not going to tell you. It's a secret. It's we could tell you, but then we'd have to kill you. I'm regretting this whole thing already. (laughs) Why do we do this podcast? (laughs) We'll never be special. It's definitely not to help people. (laughs) Someone brainwashed us. (laughs) Oh gosh. We're, we're washed out already. Burned out. We're out of ideas. Sorry guys. Only use diminished (laughs) sevenths. Always. Always. That's it. That's all it is. Diminished sevenths. Not even adding flat nine. You'll be the best musician ever. And people will pay you millions of dollars. Uh All right, I think that's it. Series over. (laughs) Just the basics, just the events. (laughs) All at the same time. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's too funny. Keeping that beat, no more. No more. Never again. Never more. (laughs) (laughs) The raven has spoken. All right, anyway. (laughs) You go ahead and talky-talk your arranging stuff first. Oh my gosh. Well, okay. So the fun part about arranging to me and the, the challenging part is trying to take something that I know, a tune that I've already heard before and make it sound like me, but also still sound like the original composer mm. mm-hmm. because you can't take all of the essence of the song out of it. Right. I mean, I suppose you can, but the really great arrangements sound enough like the original to make you remember where it comes from but are unique enough to make you go, wow, I've never heard anything like that before. And that's where it gets really fun and really challenging to do that. Right. Uh, The first step, in my opinion, besides picking a song that you want to arrange, is to figure out what medium that you want to use to do your arrangement. So by that, I mean, are you writing for a choir or a rock band or a little jazz combo, or is it you playing acoustic guitar and your friend playing the flute? I mean, <laughs> you got to figure out who you're writing it for. Otherwise, you're just going to be writing random stuff and it's not going to make any sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once you pick that, then you can really start to build it. So I think for the purpose of this conversation here, I think it's best to talk about in the, a big band setting. So by that, just a regular jazz band, you got your... Uh, five saxophones, four trombones, and four trumpets. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like that format because you have a lot of voices to work with. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's a lot of different colors to paint with and a lot of different um, textures that you can use that can be really, really nice. But it's not as massive as an orchestra where it's just a headache to get through it all. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I've, I've had and to do that the way that, that I start it's my... Like, eh, I, it's not for me. Yeah, I've done a few things like that. I've never gone like full orchestra with like all the strings and the winds. I've never done both together. Uh, but just doing just strings or just winds is enough for me. Always respect <laughs> the, the dudes of old that managed to make an orchestra sound fantastic because that's no easy task. It takes forever to figure that out properly. Yeah. 
And to, then to do that and then add a choir too, that's, that's always amazing when you end up with that. Stupid. There are, <laughs> yeah, right. It's always in, incredible when you have something like that written out, but did Ellington and then you have do the, that with his, uh, jazz opera stuff? Did he add a choir in? Um, I mean, you kind of have to in an opera, but did he? I can't remember off the top of my though. head. I haven't listened to that in a long time. It's gorgeous, but I, it's, yeah, it, it's just not on the top of my head. All right. Anyway. Yeah. I don't, well, I know that I'm pretty sure Duke Ellington didn't actually finish the jazz opera. Somebody else finished it and ghost wrote the rest of it for him. Yeah. I mean like the stuff he wrote for the queen. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. The, those yeah, those suites not. where it, it was going that direction. And then when he, when he was in the middle of the jazz opera, that's when he passed away. But right. Before that, I gotcha. think he did something similar to that that I think used a choir with his jazz orchestra, but I I can't remember off the top of my head. It's been a while. Yeah, I'm not sure either. We'll have to listen to that again. Um, so after, if we're going to write in a big band setting, the first thing that I like to do, it kind of gives you multiple arrangements all in one without having to work for multiple arrangements. Uh, I first start out by writing it for a small group, really small parts. So I take the main melody as my source material, and I write it out for a combo. Mm-hmm. So I'll do one or two saxophones, a trombone, and a trumpet. And I'll write it out in that first four-part setting, three or four-part setting there. That way I can get some ideas flowing, get some textures, experiment with what sounds I like, what I don't like, what harmonies sound good for that tune. And go from there without having to have every piece to work with at the same time. Right. Um, and then once you do that, you have a combo arrangement as well as a big band arrangement. Voila. <laughs> that is a very useful part of things. <laughs> yes. If you take a step by step result with half the work. Well, I don't know. It does take a while to do it that way. Once you get really good at this and you have like, a bona fide idea of okay, this is what I want it to sound like. Just write it out for the whole big band. Don't do this step, but I think you, yeah, I think it I helps. Think you kind of skip it a little bit, but yeah, I think it helps, especially when you're first starting out to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I'm writing out the small parts, I mostly use a method of writing called counterpoint, which mm-hmm. counterpoint mm-hmm. is derived from like guys like Bach and that sort of thing. There, it's an old thing used in classical music. It's um. It's a way of creating of writing harmonies so that each person has an individual line, so you don't have just everybody stacked in fifths, just moving the same direction. You don't have root third fifth of your chord just moving like that, and right. you can create more interest. You have counter motion going on. Uh, it's really nice to do that. Basically, the goal is to ha- mostly use the intervals of a third and a sixth, not really using fourths and fifths all that much. But of course, you'll need to use some. Sure. Uh, the goal is to not use like two fifths in a row. Do like a fifth and then a third or a fifth and a sixth or something like that. That way, everybody's moving differently from each other and independently. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in a jazz band, uh, jazz music is oftentimes pretty thinly scored. And so what, what we mean by thinly scored or thickly scored are the number of instruments that are playing at the same time. Mm-hmm. Or the number of parts that you're hearing at the same time. So in a jazz band, 
if you have a part, chances are nobody else in the band at that moment is playing the exact same part as you are. Yes. So if you don't play it right, it will be known. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I need a clip of that to, uh, to, to play for my students all the time. Now. <laughs> if you don't play it right, it will be known. <laughs> the horseman of death will come for your head. <laughs> it came out a lot more creepy than I meant it to. <laughs> I think a lot of the time, like from a writer's perspective, it helps to almost to treat each section um, in a big band, saxophone, trombones, and trumpets, to treat them as three voices instead of 12 um, or more. Just right. because... I think that a lot of the time when you hear big band arrangements, they do play together and then they're harmonized. So they might have slight differences in the rhythms that they're playing, maybe. But usually it's all one voice harmonized in a certain way, almost like miniature choirs. Um, And if you do it that way, then it kind of breaks down from having a huge group of instruments to just a couple. But harmonized so i i think that's a good way to think about it just because if you think of okay what's the barry doing right now baritone sax what's the tenor doing right now and the alto okay how about first trumpet okay how about the bass trombone oh he's probably asleep okay uh (laughs) oh he's actually probably not there because no one plays bass trombone and uh what's the bass player up to right now oh he fell down whoops uh, how about the, the keyboard uh, player? Well, it doesn't matter. He can't read music anyway. And <laughs> <laughs> the drummer probably poked himself in the eye with a stick or something. What's the composer <laughs> doing? Oh, he's just kind of shuffling and hoping that they're playing it right. Okay. And, and the guitar player is messing with his effects pedals. Of course. <laughs> There's nothing else to do in a big band for a guitar player. If you're not the chonka chonk, then you need to be shutty up. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. We've gone down some fun tangents. (laughs) I mean, that kind of leads into the way that I prefer to write for a big band, which kind of takes Mm -hmm. yet another step back from writing for a combo. Um, For me, I usually don't even do the combo step in the first place. It's just not part of my process, even though I think about that. But mm, I usually think about that within the context of the actual big band part of it. Like there are, there'll be parts of it that are a combo anyway, where like a soloist is broken off or right, a lead right. player is broken off while the rhythm section keeps going. Um, but what I start with is kind of the SATB choir writing four or five part voicings. Mm-hmm. And I start all the way back there. That way, all the parts and the hooks that I come up with and the, the clever little ideas and rhythmic um, rhythmic ideas that I get along the way, all of those happen in the smallest setting possible. And then I grow everything from that point. So any of the harmonies, they've started in a smaller setting and now they can just completely expand all the way out while kind of still nabbing the different uh, voices to fit those roles properly with usually trumpets are in the upper range. Mm -hmm. Um, And they take a lot of the quote unquote soprano stuff that's going on. And um, it helps to think of like, usually I'll end up using like 
two Sopranos, maybe. <laughs> that way mm-hmm. I can have uh, a extension voicing because you want to put some of those more crunchy extensions higher up so you don't right. actually get muddiness and uh, your bass. Sharp 11 in the trumpet. And, it's, it, and that's like instead of having a baritone <laughs> that will clash with the bass. Because if you have too many right. low register stuff, then everything just sounds bad. So you don't want that much down there. And tenors are usually right. more like first tenors where they're a little higher. Got to create some space. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah, that's, that's, that, that's like where I start in comparison because my combo arranging is different. <laughs> right. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I, both of those methods, I mean, they're both similar. It's just slightly different ways of thinking about it. They create a, um, a template to move everything off of. Exactly. And the so, other reason I do that is sometimes instead of going all the way to big band, I just say, ah, forget it and turn it into a guitar ensemble, which I love arranging for. Right. So sometimes mm-hmm. I throw in the towel and just say, ah, forget them. This goes to the I guitars. Also, <laughs> yeah. Well, I also really like writing for choir too. It's I think stupidly writing for fun. choirs is really cool. It's so fun. I don't know why I don't even like being in a choir, but it's so fun no, to write for. I can't sing and I don't like singing. <laughs> Every time I try to sing, I just get frustrated, but I like writing for other people to sing. Yeah. It's fun to watch them struggle. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and it just sounds good, too, to have a really nice choir sound and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, Then, so after I have that little uh, template, then I start to try to write some of my original material I'm going to put in there. So with every arrangement, I like to do some sort of original material that is um, representative of who I am. Mm Mm-hmm as a musician and as an individual, but also add something really cool to the song that other people haven't done before. So, I mean, even if all you do for your original material is just take the melody and change the rhythms, just doing something to make it different. Otherwise it's not really an arrangement. It's more of a cover. Right. So you have to do something to set yourself apart. So like I did a big band arrangement of in a mellow tone and I changed the rhythms of the melody, and honestly, I can't even remember what they're supposed to be in the beginning, in the first place, because every time I think about it, I think about the way that I changed the rhythms to be. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I did, I'll do something like that, and then I like to write a shout chorus for the song. So in a big band, a shout chorus is like that real loud, kick you in the butt thing that's like, okay, we're right here. We're going to smash you in the face and move forward because we're just going to yell really loud and <laughs> it's different. It's about three quarters of the way through the song and then you play the head and you, and you end the song. Right. Uh, I really like to do original material for the shout chorus. Yeah, sure. It just is really nice. You can come up with some cool stuff. I like to base it off of the original melody but change it enough so it's not the same and it just adds something nice to the song. Now, I don't always have a great idea for that at first. So if I'm struggling with fleshing out an idea for that, sometimes I'll go back through and I'll write the way that I want to harmonize everything else before that, just till I can give myself something like, oh, wait, that that sound right there, I could use that for the shout chorus. So, And then the shout chorus is normally pretty thickly scored too, so you have a lot of the parts playing together. You can actually double stuff in that section. Yeah, a lot of so, unison happening to really 
punch exactly. out those notes in your face. Right. So I like to write out the melody that I'm going to use first and then flush it out the same way, add a couple parts in, whether it's the combo parts of the choir writing, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't add all the parts in yet, though. I, I wait till I write the rhythm section stuff out before I add all the harmonies in. I don't know. Well, I don't know about you, Matt, but I feel like that's a just for me personally. I think that works better because otherwise, I forget about the rhythm section, <laughs> and I feel like a lot of composers, a lot of arrangers, forget about the rhythm section, and they just give us slash charts with no information on it at all, except for the tempo marking and the chords. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, yeah. which is fine. I mean, rhythm section guys are musicians too, after all, but. <laughs> And sometimes as much as it doesn't seem enough, like it. <laughs> but sometimes it's just nice to have a little more than that. I mean, for the guitar player, you really do do that. That's just what you do. You hand right. him the chords with the slash chart. And if if you're going to give him an original part or her, um, it's going to stand out a lot because it's well, such a different tone from everything else. But if you... Uh, if you hand them something with the chords on it, then they can play properly with the rhythm section because the guitar right. once it switches to that quote unquote lead role, it sings out quite a good bit because I mean they're going to turn up so that they that you can hear their part. Mm-hmm. So it's going to kind of matheny the whole thing. Nothing wrong with that at all. That's a really good thing. It's just you have to know that a lot of the time the guitar player does not need you to write a full rhythm chart of the exact rhythms the entire time no only if there's an actual like rhythms being played together that need to be tight with the rest of the rhythm section right like stabs and your bass player and your piano player really in your drummer no none of the rhythm section really needs you to write every little detail out no but you have to give them something to go off of so let's say in your shout section you're gonna do a um you you want to push you want to push a bar well, you want to make sure that uh, that your rhythm section know, knows to push the bar too. And if you've got like a specific rhythm you want the drummer to play to set it up, you want to make sure you notate those things out. And so I feel like if I flesh those things out and add the rhythms, the rhythmic hits and any pushing or pulling, or if I have a specific lick that I want the bass player or the guitar player to play, if I write those out first it's a lot easier for me to add the rest of the parts in because I have the rhythms the way I want to push and pull. I have those added to my score already. Yeah, and I think for me personally, I would prefer if big band arrangers would actually hand me the melody or Mm -hmm. at at least like, and in the original sections where there's a lot more of stabs and rhythmic things happening with the, the band, that's a little different. That can be a rhythm chart, but right. as far as like the head and stuff, like please give me the melody. I don't have to play the melody. It's just nice to see it so I know where to play my my accompaniment to it. And then um, sometimes it is just a chonk, chonk, Freddie Green playing, and right. that, that's fine. I know what to do in that. That's different. But sometimes that's not what the arrangement is like. Sometimes it's not a bassy swing arrangement and it would be nice to know where the melody actually is so that I can properly comp it. Right. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of times bass players and guitarists uh, get forgotten about in stuff like this. 
Yeah. Like, don't forget that it is a cool texture to have a guitar player and a saxophone player double a melody. Mm-hmm. Like a tenor sax and a guitar. You have a tenor sax, a guitar, and your piano player play a little solely together. Just those three instruments. That's a, a very really nice powerful texture. tonality. And um, yeah, like right. you said, nice texture. And one thing I usually like to do is write original bass lines. But there's mm-hmm. there's all the room in the world for a walking bass line. I never write a walking bass line pretty much ever. I just give them the chords and then the bass player that I have, it's up to them to play a walking line properly. And um, and I think that um, a, a bass player in that setting, that, that's that's for their expression their way of playing walking lines. I want them to play it the way that they want to play it. But then there's sometimes that I want something that's not just a normal baseline where it's a Latin line. Do, do, do. I don't really want that. Sometimes I want something that's a little more unique, like the opening for a night in Tunisia. I mean, if a bass player just started playing something original like that out of the blue for something that I wrote, I would be pretty floored, but I wouldn't expect that. Right. <laughs> Well, typically, bass players, I can speak for that, you don't want to go too far unless it's written out because yeah. you don't want to. Uh, bass lines have such a powerful influence on the way a song sounds. Right. So if you change too much from what you are normally given, it um, it can create a completely different tune. Like mm-hmm. Night in Tunisia, like that example, the ba da ba da 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 if for some reason I don't play ba da 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 and I play, uh, if, if I walk it instead, well, now it's a different song. Completely. It's not even close to the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I normally try to be, or if you play the same ba da 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 but swing it ba da ba da ba 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 da ba da ba ba It doesn't different. sound, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, it's wrong. You know, it just doesn't make sense. So I, I'm normally a little shy about creating something groovy like that. Especially right, in a big right. band setting. I typically just play a walking line. Which, like but I said, would I really not like, it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, when stuff like that is written out, it's really cool. And you can get some really fun stuff that way. Uh, but I'm just careful of adding it myself. Now, one thing I really like, though, is I know, you, Matt, you said you don't really like to walk right, walking bass lines out. Which I'm 100% for that. But I really like when people decide to use pedal tones in the bass. Yeah. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum. Well, if that's not written out, your bass player is probably not going to do it. Yeah. And if they do it, then it's probably going to sound a little bit weird because chances are your piano player and your guitar player aren't going to play the same thing. Mm-hmm. So using stuff like pedal tones, you want to think about adding those in there. Or if there's a melody line that fits perfectly with a walking bass line, um, add that in there. So that way and it could just be like a little two-note thing or three-note thing. That way your bass player makes sure they hit that specific note as part of their walking line. Right. Just to add a little bit more texture in. Little it was notes really cool to do. Exactly. And it just gives a little bit of guidance. Yeah. Makes it easier to know where you want to take a song when you've gotten a little bit of instruction. Clear communication so that you don't have to spend the entire rehearsal explaining to everyone what you expect from them. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So then once I do all that, then I'm going to add the rest of the parts in as far as uh, harmonies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I'll write all that in after that. And only after all that stuff is done do I write my introduction and out and endings. 
hmm. intros and outros, whatever you want to call them. That's interesting. So I do those last because I feel like I know it normally people think, okay, let me do the intro first. That way I know I'm starting up the tune. And unless I have a specific idea for an intro where I've thought of that before I even started the arrangement, I do it last because otherwise I've done it before where I've written an intro and be like, oh man, I love this intro. And then I realize that everything else, or then I start trying to write everything else. And I'm like, I don't really like the way that these connect and I don't know how really to connect them. Gotcha. So if I do the, uh, the rest of the writing first and the intro last, I can bridge the gap easier. And the same thing with the ending, because I don't like to write the ending until I've written my introduction. Yes. Or if I write my ending first, I write my introduction after that. Whichever one of those I do first, because I like to have the end, the ending uh, bookend the intro. So have some element from the beginning also be in the ending. So that's why I write those last, because then I can kind of take that, and then I can take content from my shout section or original material, whatever I did, to add to it, to create it. That way everything feels seamless. Yeah, that that uh that makes sense. Usually... I mean, most of the time, I think I kind of set off with the intro as the, you know, the crux of my creative idea in the first place. But mm-hmm. that that's mainly just me. And the ending is literally the last thing that I do, because after the entire piece has been written, then I know exactly what I need to do to finish it off. Like, And um, so usually... The ending, I don't even touch until pretty much everything else is done. There'll be something that's kind of there, just splatted onto the end, waiting until I finish the rest of it. But once I have the entire tonality and the direction of everything, that's when I'll actually step into the ending and not and say, okay, I think I know what to do here and write whatever it is. Because ending a song is one of the trickiest things when you're arranging, especially if you plan to use set arrangements for a concert with other songs because you don't want all of your endings to be the exact same thing. If say, right. That's true. If you only arrange once in a blue moon, you might always default to the same ending. And then when someone opens your composition portfolio, they'll be like, this dude only knew one way to end a freaking song. Well, that's just boring. So, and then they close the book and then they might take one arrangement that you had and that's that. But if you try to come up with something clever, like that's that's really this the intro and the ending, they're really bread and butter for you having your own personal creative expression. Like so many arrangements in combos and big bands, the true original stuff comes from those parts. I like that that Tommy uses like a, an original shout chorus in the middle. I don't tend to always do that. I'll do something like it, but I don't think to the extent that he does. Um, it might just be more of a transitional part. Uh, yeah, I mean, it depends on the tune, of course. Well, yeah, certain yeah, tunes yeah. I wouldn't do that on. But. Yeah, and but the intro and the outro, that's I would not want to that's make. That's when it you basic. can be creative. Yeah. That's what I want to set up and then tie off the style. Exactly. Well, and honestly, what people remember is the beginnings and ends of songs. Precisely. People don't remember the mistake in the middle, you know, it's, or even if it's in a whole concert setting, they remember the first tune and the last tune. They don't remember the middle. Mm -hmm. They think they think they do. But then when you talk about, I'm just thinking about it. Last time I went to a concert, 
you know, when you were talking about it with your friends afterwards, really, how many songs from the middle did you talk about? It's mostly the last one. You're like, man, that was so awesome. Or the first one, you're like, man, the way they started out was really great. Mm-hmm. But I bet you, you can't remember what song was played exactly halfway through the concert. Yep. Yeah. It's just not very often that people do that. Now, if you're like some super fan, you might, but hey, there's not a lot of super fans out there. <laughs> <laughs> like when I, I went to see Victor Wooten play and I don't remember at all what they did in the middle of the concert. Mm-hmm. I tried to remember afterwards because I didn't want to be that guy that only remembered the beginning and the end. <laughs> and I remember I enjoyed it the whole time, but I, I don't remember what they played. <laughs> As much as I wish I could, I just don't. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, so we, we talked a lot about the big band setting, but uh, one thing I did want to talk about is working in like a combo setting and arranging with other musicians. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite thing to do. Yeah. So like if too. Matt and I are going to play a gig, my favorite thing to do is for the two of us to sit down and figure out how we want to play stuff together. Mm-hmm. I love that because you end up getting your voice as well as the other musician's voice and you create something that you wouldn't have thought, wouldn't necessarily have thought of on your own. Yeah, exactly. And it's really cool. It's a lot of fun. You get some great stuff that way. Uh, And even if all it is is you decide to take this swing tune and play it as a bossa nova, I mean, sometimes you don't think about that on your own, but with somebody else there you do. (laughs) It's... um, it's a lot of fun doing stuff like that. Yeah, I uh, I kind of threw it into my notes that, that that that's the way that I prefer my arrangements is that they're more of a mm-hmm. conceptual thing, that I don't sit down in front of finale and spend a couple of hours plinking out note after note and then hitting the playback and listening to it and then picking out what I could improve. I do love doing that, and that's what I do for big band arrangements and other uh, more detailed and involved composed arrangements. That's what I'll do for that. And I enjoy it. But what I really love to do is you don't write down a freaking thing. You just sit down and you make up that arrangement as a, as a concept. And then every time you'll perform it, new things will happen, new and fresh things along the way that are just inspired by your group Mm -hmm. getting into the, ideas that you have so yeah you might make up a an original intro or an ending that it because you need to know how to start it strong and end it strong because like we said those are the things you remember and you have to be able to stay together and know where to kind of all fall in back into place in case you start to wander with your ideas but Mm -hmm. that's the fun of it is setting up some cool original idea enjoying that through the song and with improvisation really interesting things can happen along the way sometimes they turn into a train wreck but if you just hold it together and breathe then you'll be able to make it to that ending that you all know that you worked on to make sure that you can all land together and that's fine sometimes some incredible things happen that you'll do every time you play it from then on And that arrangement kind of takes a life of its own the longer that you play it together. And that's what I really, really like about that conceptual approach that's more of an improvisational performance arrangement style. Mm -hmm. It's just really fun to me because so many things can happen from different people in the group 
the deeper they get into the arrangement. Right. Yeah. And it's just so, um, it's what makes music magical mm-hmm. and what's, what makes it special. I mean, everybody can appreciate music, but it's that sort of music that is really special to me. Mm-hmm. That's where I think that people really, it's where true art artistry comes out. And not saying that the written out orchestrations or choir arrangements or big band stuff isn't important and isn't amazing works of art because they are. It's just a completely different type of art. It's more of expressive of the composer than it is the performers. Right. Most of the time. Some, I, yeah. I like to leave room or, <clears throat> excuse me, encourage any players that I might have arranged for to add their little bit of a touch to it. But sometimes you don't want that. I added in the notes. The players can add their own touch, which is great, unless they suck. Which <laughs> you might be working with players that are students and someone <laughs> likes to add their own way of doing things, but they suck. So you don't that want them harsh. to. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Like There are some people that they, know. They, they get into it, but they shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I understand that completely. And then it's like, how do you tell them no, but the same, like... You just tell them to play, yeah. what, play what you wrote. You just yeah. make it more about, I want to hear what I wrote and don't make it about them. So there's a, yeah, there's exactly. a word to the, the arrangers and conductors. Make you make, seem selfish. Yeah, make it that you're selfish instead of they suck. <laughs> yeah. Don't even acknowledge that they're not playing well or anything. It's not worth it. Encourage them instead. They're go- if you don't, then you'll lose them, and replacing someone in a big band is next to impossible. <laughs> I guess it depends on where you live. Well, if you're sure. in New York or LA, it'd probably be pretty easy. Yeah, but who lives there? But, rich people. We're not rich. Yeah, exactly. And they can't be musicians because we're giving away our secrets money. on a podcast. Remember? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're giving this away for free, guys. Come on. <laughs> Speaking of, we do have our Patreon page. Oh, so if you like plug, our ideas plug. and you don't want it to be free. <laughs> hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> well, we really, so we are doing that, um, that giveaway though with those custom guitar picks. And so if you guys want a couple of those, you need to, you need to sign up because they're got, they're, um, they're going to be a limited run of stuff. We're not going to do them very often. So how are you going to play Go the stuff and- we inspire in you if you don't have the tools? Right? <laughs> you need a state-of-the-art, just-the-basics pick to pick you out your favorite tunes to and our recommendations. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you need it. It's the best way to, to play. The... <laughs> I love that. That was great. I wouldn't have come up with that one. <laughs> uh-huh. Sure. There's an example of arranging on the fly right there. <laughs> See, told you. We like to improvise. <laughs> if you think just the basics is scripted, you're probably stupid because you're not listening close enough. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I think it's pretty obvious. We're uh, we uh, kind of just hop on here and and talk until we get tired. <laughs> I think that kind of ties it off on us talking about arranging. We could probably move on to writing. Yeah, I think so too. So I don't do a ton of writing, Matt. You probably do more writing than I do. A little bit. Uh, but when I do write, I I think it's interesting. So 
Matt, maybe you have an answer to this. Do you like to start your writing with a baseline or a melody or a chord progression or do you have a specific way that you generally like to start it or is it just kind of different depending on the song? It completely depends on what kind. If it's um if it's a jazz standard style or I, I most of what I write is going to end up being just a hard bop thing and usually doesn't even end up on a piece of paper, honestly. A lot of the time I will sit down and play around and I'll come up with a cool idea and then I don't actually write it down or record it or anything and it never sees the light of day and that's my own dumb fault. But that's what happens. And uh, so (laughs) usually when I write, what I do is I sit down with my guitar and I just play and um, really focus, just kind of meditate in playing for a little while. And then if a cool idea comes to light, if it's good enough, then I'm going to go and write it down. And it doesn't happen often because sometimes I'm like, oh, I know where that comes from. It comes from blah, blah, blah. So I'm not going to use that. But sometimes that's exactly uh, what comes out is something that's new and original and I like it. And what I tend to do is I've noticed there'll be that first time when I come up with it And then the next Mm -hmm. time that I pick up a guitar, if it happens again and I remember it, then I'm starting to consider it memorable enough that it's worth me actually recording it uh, by writing it down. Okay. So usually if it's not memorable enough that I could play it twice and enjoy it and like playing it, then it's not worth it to put any work into. Right. And this is just the melodic idea. With a with a bass, I'm not good enough at coming up with original bass lines yet that I can just pick it up and then be like, "Ooh, I like this one," and actually right. put uh, put that down. Usually, I'm much better at writing bass lines when I'm in finale and writing it along with other things and coming up with ideas for the bass with my own brain. I'm better at writing a bass line than I am playing an original one. <laughs> Uh, right, right. Which, and I really like writing bass lines. I think that that's really fun to come up with a original, non, you know, non typical bass lines. That's really fun to me. But it usually doesn't. I've tried. I'm I'm not good at writing them with a bass in hand. <laughs> but the um, the guitar is usually where I find my original idea from the start. And then kind of move on to putting that on the paper, looking at it. And that's when I started exploring the harmonic side of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And seeing where that really fits in and then trying to make sure that the harmony makes sense, but is original and interesting, but leaves a lot of space for chord subs. Because I think there is an issue with overwriting with original jazz music is where you write down every single stinking chord you're going to play when really you could leave them as a personal accompaniment preference. <laughs> Which I right. think that happens. And it, cause it's, if you look at standards, a lot of the time there's a lot of space for, um, uh, between chords. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. a little busy, but if you listen to someone playing that tune, you're going to hear a lot more chords than you see on the page. So remember to leave that kind of a space when you're writing like that. 
Mm-hmm. And then the other side of things that usually ends up happening is if I'm playing that guitar and I come up with an interesting pattern that usually turns into an, a, a minimalism arrangement. And that I think that's kind of become more of my writing is writing in a minimalist style. I don't know why it's like just what I like to do. I like to just mess with finale with different voices until I kind of come up with something. But usually that starts on guitar, which I don't, the guitar doesn't end up in my minimalist arrangements. They're not even intended to be played live. It's just where the original uh, idea, the pattern starts. Mm -hmm. Which I do want to mention before. I talk more about that is I think one of the best ways to um, to train yourself in writing melodically is to write in the style of contrafact. And that is to take a harmonic progression that's already written. So how high the moon, for instance, and then using the same exact chords, no changes to them whatsoever, and then writing a melody to that. And that's where we got ornithology along with a bunch of Charlie Parker tunes and a bunch of other bebop tunes. They're contrafacts. Same same progression, different melody. And that's a really good mm-hmm. way to train yourself and fill space in your portfolio and uh, and really find good ideas because the progression's already good and you just have to fill in the blanks on the on a melodic idea. And that can be tricky. Because sometimes you get the original melody stuck in your head, but you can do it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a really good I've way to, to train yourself to write an original melody, because you don't want to write the melody from the right. tune that you're taking from. You want a new one, so you have to make mm-hmm. original decisions. Right, of course. Yeah, I like using contrafacts as well. Uh, I think that they are, like you said, they're really good for that sort of exercise. So one thing I, I've done before when I was trying to really get into writing was I would record, like a take a chord progression from a, a tune, like How High the Moon or Fly Me the Moon or uh, whatever, Miss, Have You Met Miss Jones or something like that. And then I'd record it and then play it on a loop and then I'd record a couple of solos over it. Mm-hmm. And I'd just improvise over it and see what I came up with. And try to keep the solos, because like you know, sometimes improvisations, people just start playing licks, just and it's just gets kind of crazy. Sure. So I try to keep it simpler, just for the sake of those to make it more melodic, kind of sing along with myself as I play. Right. And um, that I think is a really good way to get you started, get you going with it, because now you've got four or five melodies that are all compositions to a contrafact. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as there's something that you like and is is memorable, you could take it, write it down, and replay that as a just as a regular tune. You know, exactly. Yeah, and then you just have to fill in the space of uh, everything else and add in some more original mm-hmm. ideas that go along with what you liked. And I, it's a really fun way to writing. It makes a puzzle out of a song and that's a lot of what I tend to think of a lot of arranging and composition composition as is it's a big old puzzle 
and you just have to work at it for a while, just like you're working yeah. on a Sudoku. Mm-hmm. You're just putting it all together and make a thousand changes if you have to and spend as much time on it as you want to because it's just a big old puzzle that you're just fitting all the pieces together until boop, it's finally just right, right and you're happy with it. To talk about the writing and minimalism again because I want to humble brag about the fact that I do that. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> usually the way that I do that is completely different from uh, when I write in a jazz style because I tend to start out once I have, um, uh, well, actually before I have the actual pattern is I, th- mm-hmm. I kind of plan out a little narrative and focus on an, a visual art style, like actual art and uh, just some form of a scene to kind of s- just go to in my mind and imagination and just stay there in my head for a while. And that's what I'll focus on when I'm trying to come up with the the primary motif, the whatever pattern is going to be built off of. And then by mm-hmm. once I find that on my guitar then that goes into finale and everything I go off of from there is to, um, to complete the scene that I had in my head and tell whatever story I might've made up. Sometimes there's no story, but sometimes there is, uh, the, I think it was Valentine's day. This is cheesy, but it's what I did. Um, I literally just made it a very basic love story of uh of two voices which became two different instruments obviously uh one was a piano the other is a singer and they they kind of meet over the same motifs and it develops and it grows together and then by the end of the song they're singing together so it was a valentine's gift for my wife and just cute and simple but my God, if that wasn't really inspiring for different ideas along the way for that one, I'm still really proud of, of that one just because it, it, it works really well. And then the, Mm -hmm. the actual scene, the visual scene is that they're in space, (laughs) right? (laughs) They're in space among, yeah, they're in space among the galaxies. There's all the nebulas and stuff. So just, that pictured in my my head along the way, then everything supporting their little melodic lines, the motifs that I'm using for those, is serving to build the rest of that scene. So whatever instrument voice that I use is meant to support that. The way that their line is written is going to support that. I tend to almost always have a, a drone in the low register. In finale, the um, just the contrabass the string bass that that usually works for it finale doesn't have every option in the world and i could probably benefit from using a different program but whatever it's what works um and it's what i can afford right now so once you have uh, a motif you can do so stinking much with it because all the space you don't want to get in the way of your motif so uh like the actual register of it don't clash with it but you can play around and find so much polyphony when you're just writing different patterns to layer over each other. 
That's why minimalism right. is just a really fun style to write because one, it's really easy. <laughs> it's so easy to write and it takes minimal effort. It's just really fun to then sit and mess with the, uh, the instrument voices and the dynamics because you're, it's pretty much the same thing as writing loops. Um, just, I think it was like right, one, yeah. one step beyond it, which is why I think it's so fun is it's not just making a synth with a drum loop. It's not just that it goes a little beyond that because now you can fill it out and make the loop grow as it goes on and actually through compose the whole thing. Right. Yeah. Minimalism is really cool like that. Yeah. It just layers and layers and layers until you finally start one place and end up someplace else. Mm -hmm. It start. I mean, mine tend to start out very small, just like most minimalist pieces do. And by the end, it's really doggone big and it might break down to being small again, or it might just kind of cut off at the top. (laughs) It might just leave Mm -hmm. you on top of the mountain or it might bring it all back down again to silence. It just depends what I feel like. But usually you want to start out uh, with just your motif or, or the drone, whatever, just start out with just one or two voices and then you grow from there. A lot of mine end up with like 10 voices by the end Mm -hmm. and they're all hidden there in the score from the start, but they jump in along the way. And sometimes something only hops in for a very short time and that's it. Right. Like they're part of the pattern only appears a little bit. Right. Yeah. It can be really cool like that. It's fun. Uh, I think the last thing we need need to mention for the, for writing is feedback. Mm -hmm. So I think the most important thing when you're writing, well, I shouldn't say the most, one of the most important things when you're writing is to get feedback from other people. Yes. Not just other musicians though, because think about it. Other musicians are not the ones buying your work most of the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's normally just the you know your neighbor across the street or you know whoever. So you want to make sure that you create something that's interesting to people that aren't musicians as well. Mm-hmm. So getting feedback is really important. Bringing your demo recordings out and just getting your friends to listen to it. Like, hey guys, what do you think of this? Just play it from your phone, whatever. And you'll learn a lot from them. Yeah, even if it's kind of like, oh, they don't get it. Don't think of it as they don't get it. Maybe you're just writing above people's heads a little bit. Like you're going yeah, a little maybe. too far. Maybe it's just weird. And sure, like maybe your friends have bad taste, but that's your fault, bro. <laughs> or who knows? Maybe you just have bad taste. <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> but take their feedback con- uh, constructively. And if someone asks you to give them feedback, please be positive with it. Don't be a um, big baby. Yeah. Support us on Patreon. And we would love to give feedback. <laughs> right. We would love to give feedback on your arrangements and your compositions. If you send them to us, uh, you can reach us at our email. So you can reach me at Tommy at JustTheBasics.com or Matt at Matt at JustTheBasics.com. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, it really we'd is. We'd love fun to, to us. talk to talk to you, help you through it. If you give us permission to, we'd love to play little clips of it on the podcast and talk about it there. Sure. Yeah. That way, we can help other people out too. Uh, we want to call that segment "What the Pluck" because it sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's been from episode one that we've wanted to do. That. Right. It, so, if you have something, you know, we'd love to help you out with it. So, submit it. Uh, 
the most important thing that I can say about writing and arranging is to never stop trying. Mm-hmm. So you're going to write stuff that's going to be terrible. You're going to write stuff that's going to be great. Most of the stuff's probably going to be terrible. That's what it's like for me. Most of the stuff I write, I look back at it and I'm like, why did I write that? Um, but occasionally you look back, like I, I noticed, I discovered something two days ago that I had written like two months prior and I had start, had written it and then put it up and hadn't worked on it again. Actually, I'd written it for this podcast to write kind of like an intro music sort of thing. And then I had set it down and not really touched it. Mm. And then I heard it and I was like, whoa, I actually like this. Like, this is way better than I thought it was. Mm. And so sometimes you'll be pleasantly surprised. Sometimes you're going to look at it and be like, what was I thinking? Right. Normally I have the what was I thinking sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you you learn as you do it. You'll get better ideas. You'll grow as a musician, as an individual. So just never stop trying. Don't give up with it. Yeah. Music is not supposed to be a lot of work. It's supposed to be something that's fun and enjoyable. It is a lot of work to do these massive performances and stuff like that. But if you're not enjoying it and you don't love the process of it, then you probably are doing something the wrong way. <laughs> right. I mean, remember, the, the giant composers of history, they wrote a ton but how many mm-hmm. pieces do you actually know by them right well and like, like okay like to take duke ellington for example because he's a more modern sort of guy sure, sure. sort of more modern duke ellington has over a thousand songs copyrighted in his name mm-hmm. but how many songs did he do you actually know of his how many has he actually recorded i mean granted there are a ton out there but there's not a thousand songs that he actually recorded that he wrote. Mm-hmm. I think of McCartney. Look, McCartney's written mm-hmm. so much. But how much of that music have you actually listened to and remember and enjoy? I can imagine that it's mostly the hits of the Beatles that everybody knows. Right, And exactly. that is still a lot of music. But look at how much the scope of how much he wrote to have all those hits. Exactly. So you have to be able to sift through your, well, you're not looking for your masterpiece, but you have to sift through your ideas and get them down and actually work on them. And uh, I think one thing I wrote in the notes, I liked it. I don't know. Maybe you won't care, but I liked it. I, I put <laughs> an unrefined original idea is still original and you should have pride in it and your writing and your arranging because mm-hmm. it's still your idea. I know there's a nothing new under the sun thing. Yeah, but if you have an original idea, just work on it. Right. It just just let it take its yeah. own life. And if it ends up crappy in the end, even when you've done everything you can do, who cares? You still mm-hmm. made something. That's awesome. Yeah, exactly. Our podcast it's might be crappy, in- but we made it and it's awesome. So shut up. Yeah. And support yeah, us. Yeah, it's... <laughs> It might be a crappy song, but it's my crappy song. So, ha! <laughs> it might be duty, but it's my duty. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I hope that was helpful for everybody there out listening to this. Uh, we actually do have a song recommendation for this week. We actually just kind of picked one out together that we think really um, is a great example of what we're talking about here. Uh, I'm going to link it in the description. It's... Uh, it's the song Watermelon Man, but it's from this thing called Studio Jams. Mm-hmm. So Studio Jams, if you guys haven't heard of it, they get a bunch of pro musicians in a room and they just record a session that day. And most of the time it's people, like as a group, like the five or six guys that are in the room have not recorded as a whole together before. 
Mm-hmm. And so they pick songs that they've never played together. So this one, Studio Jam's number 80, is Watermelon Man. Uh, Victor Wooten's playing bass. Bob Francis playing uh, tenor. I can't remember who else was playing in it. but I don't know, but they were awesome. It's, oh, yeah. It is um, definitely... It is definitely amazing. And it's worth noting that when it starts, it is not the strongest start you'll ever hear. Correct. It is very much so that the arrangement takes its own life and grows as it goes on. And I think that's one of the most important and interesting things about listening to this is realizing that these are some crazy good musicians. I mean, listen to the solos near the end of the video. These people know what they're doing. And yet, when it started out, oh, yeah. you would second guess who's actually playing because that that sax on the head at the start does not sound very confident. <laughs> and but by no. the end of it, it's like, ooh, baby. <laughs> yeah, it's um drum. The Victor Wooten's on bass. Curtis Harmon is playing drums. Uh, Kevin Hansen is playing guitar. Bob Francisini is playing saxophone, and James Lloyd is on piano. That uh, at player the, on and, the piano. Ooh. Oh man, James Lloyd. Ooh, ooh. I have Somebody to needs to like get some it. fan and flame the, or get a fan and flame or fan the flame. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. Like I've never seen somebody use their elbow so accurately. <laughs> <laughs> you just gotta watch the video, guys. We're gonna put it in the description. He hates his but keyboard. Stay, it's an eleven-minute video. The song is not eleven minutes long, but you want to watch the end because they actually talk about how they came up with it. Mm-hmm. And it will kind of enlighten you a little bit. I know when I listen and play it, basically what Victor Wooten said was like, yeah, we, we did it and we wanted to do it different than most people did it. So we thought, why not try it faster? So we did. And then I thought of this. And so I started playing this and then we did it that way. And then it was awesome. Basically, it was what he said. But it's, it's really cool. They did the so thing. Check it out, And guys. so they did the thing and the thing was good. <laughs> exactly. Isn't that how jazz musicians kind of work? Yeah. <laughs> That's what we talk about. Yeah, pretty much. So, um, all right, guys. Well, thank you for tuning in and listening to us. Please subscribe uh, on iTunes or Spotify or wherever it is that you are consuming the podcast. Check out our new website if you haven't seen it yet, justthebasics.com. It is incredible. My brother, uh, Corey at Mythic Design, did it. It's really nice. It's a great job. I can't. I still can't believe it every time I look at it. Uh and please share the episodes with your friends and give us reviews on iTunes and everything. It really does help. Tell your friends. It'll help more. All of them. All of them, even if you don't like them. <laughs> Though they're probably not your friend if you don't like them. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe there um, are high school girls listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. The, the drama that that is. I'm glad that I never had to deal with that. <laughs> Being a high school girl? No. Well. Uh, yeah, I mean, that would be, be a terrible. bit of a surprise to learn at this point after all these years. <laughs> Why, Tommy, I didn't know that you were a Becky. Uh, hey, in today's world, you never know. Virginia was cruel to I, you. <laughs> I could have been a Tammy. You never would have known. <laughs> okay, that would have been more clever than Becky. <laughs> I was just imagining some oh, Floridian gosh. blonde showing up that's actually Tommy now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, man. That's that's funny. Becky the bassist. Um, yeah. <laughs> Basic Becky. <laughs> <laughs> they bite. Be careful. <laughs> oh, jeez. And then um, the Patreon page, too. So if you guys really like the podcast and want to support us, please go there. The link will be in the description. You can find it on our website. It's patreon.com slash just the basics. So. 
All right, guys. Well, thank you for tuning in. We, we will see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Thank you.